What is up everybody? Welcome to part one of my two-part series on how the NBA has struggled with the Nuggets home court advantage and how the Nuggets inadvertently played into the NBA's pursuit of limiting that said home court advantage. But uh, the title will also will obviously be shorter than this when you see it on Apple. So, anyway, before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, Delta variant's kind of racing through the country right now. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable enough to go out and uh, to the dairy block and enjoy yourself some Blanchard, you can uh, go to bfwdenver.com, pick yourself up a bottle, uh, do what I do, and get some of that 2017 Cabernet, or, you know, you could get any number of their reds or whites. It's all great stuff from Sonoma County, California. Um, they also have partnerships with Western Slope Wineries, uh, so... Those are absolutely um, great, great wines. All of the stuff they sell at Blanchard is amazing. Uh, you can also go to bfwdenver.com uh, if you want to do socially distant outside dining. Um, you can uh, book yourself a table. You can also get, pick up some swag. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Moisee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, they're online at bfwdenver.com, where you can pick yourself up a bottle, get yourself some swag, or uh, just book yourself uh, one of those tables for a reservation. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast I sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Martin. Um, okay, this is going to be, this one, actually, the, the schedule was released for the 2021-22 season for the Denver Nuggets. And uh, I am kind of going to, it kind of spurred me to, to think about how the NBA, particularly in the last, since about 2015, has made a concerted effort to limit Denver's home court advantage via scheduling. Um, and that part is one that's not a conspiracy. That's 100% the NBA has 100% done that. But I kind of want to go through the history about how the NBA specifically has struggled with the Nuggets' home court advantage and how coaches, players, and executives have uh, struggled with and both came to the conclusion that it needed to it was unfair naturally and needed to be mitigated. Uh, the Nuggets came into the league to, uh, after nine years in the uh, ABA in 1976. Um, a couple things they had going for them. Uh, obviously the altitude, 5,280 feet. Um, it is uh, uh, an inherent advantage for multiple sports. Uh, if you talk to people in Major League Baseball, they will tell you it's a disadvantage. If you talk to people in football and in basketball, they will tell you it's an advantage. If you talk to people in hockey, they'd be ambivalent. But uh, generally, it's accepted that the 5,280 feet above sea level is deemed to be a, an advantage for the team, for opposing teams coming in, so to speak. When the Nuggets came in in 1976, they had another advantage, which was they were the only team uh, in the NBA that was selling out the arena. Um, McNichols Arena had been built in 1975, 
and uh, they were selling out 18,000 seats a game. Some of that was fudged attendance by uh, the late Carl Shearer, but it was undoubtable that for the first few years in the league, the Denver Nuggets had uh, a great, great fan base and a uh, an altitude advantage that uh, really helped them uh, come into being. Well, one of the reasons it freaked the NBA out is because they're, an, you know, outside of the formation of the league, of which there was the original Denver Nuggets in 1949, um, there was no... Uh, team in the Mountain Time Zone. And Denver was the first, as of 1976, the first Mountain Time Zone team in the NBA. And they weren't prepared, the, the, the NBA specifically was not prepared for the advantage that it gave the Denver Nuggets. Now, uh, the whining about the Nuggets' home court advantage began in 1976. And the, in 1976, the, the NBA was a very... It always had a very condescending view of the ABA. They viewed it as a rec league. Um, they still don't admit the ABA statistics like the NFL does with the uh, AFL statistics, where they kind of incorporated everything when the leagues merged. Since the NBA only incorporated four of the teams from the ABA, um, they've always taken, taken, even to this day, remarkably a very down-looking view of the massive talent that was in the ABA. It was a wacky league, but it was also an innovative league that the NBA ended up incorporating elements into. Um, the Nuggets were part of the merger package, going all the way back to 1971, when the first merger was attempted, uh, which was put off by Oscar Robertson suing the NBA for antitrust violations, and that didn't come into, it wasn't settled, basically, until 1975, I think. And once that was settled, it paved the way. <clears throat> the Nuggets were always part of the equation and became even more a part of the equation when the Nets, uh, the New York Nets and the Nuggets attempted to merge into the league in 1975 and were essentially blocked by Dave DeBuscher, who was the commissioner of the ABA, uh, until a different deal that included more teams was happened. And then, of course, the Spurs and the... Uh, Indiana Pacers were included into that, so the four teams, the four most successful and the more four most financially stable uh, ABA teams, came into the um, into the ABA. Excuse me, NBA. Um, what the NBA got was a team at fifty two hundred and eighty feet. And right away, the effects of playing in Denver were felt. The Nuggets won 50 games, their debut season. Um, most of it was because that was a damn good Nuggets team. Probably, if you look at actual statistics and the fact that they had uh, multiple Hall of Famers on that team, you could say, make a very, very good argument, that was the best Nuggets team ever. And when it came into the NBA, it was the NBA was not prepared for both the talent the Nuggets had, um, 
which upset a lot, specifically Red Auerbach, who didn't, uh, who, whose attitude towards basketball in Denver and the ABA in general was pretty low. And the Nuggets came in, tore through the league. They ended up losing to the uh, eventual champion, Portland Trailblazers, but the template was set. The Nuggets knew how to take advantage, going back to the early 60s, of the altitude in Denver. Oftentimes, teams on or West East, East Coast teams on Western road trips would make their last stop a, in Denver, and it was a it was just a, basically a form of geography. How they would hit the West Coast first, and then come back farther east to make it to Denver. And what people need to understand is, for a very long time, Denver was the farthest east. Uh, of the Western teams until obviously Dallas and San Antonio, and that, but but that's south. But you know you're at the middle of the country. There was no other. There was no other team anywhere close to the Nuggets, you know. And the Jazz moved to uh, to Utah in the early '80s, so the Nuggets were basically just just giant red dot, basically in the middle of the country where no one was else around. And so all these East Coast teams would end their road trips in Denver. One of the things these these teams hated was ending their road trip in Denver and basically having no chance. So they viewed basically the Nuggets as not necessarily as having a legitimate home record because they were tired. Um, not taking into account geography on the East Coast, which we'll get into in the second podcast. So the Nuggets go through the first part of the uh, their time in the uh, NBA, and by 1978, they were one of the best teams in basketball. And a lot of that had to do with the massive and really good home records they would run up. One of the Nuggets' problems is was they got to the playoffs, and it wasn't necessarily because of the style of basketball they played. Um... The the more people stay in a, a place, the more they get used to the altitude, and the less you can run them off the court. Now, those early Nuggets teams, they did fast break a lot, but they had a, that motion basketball. And that kind of stayed, they was, came through Dean Smith to Larry Brown to Doug Moe. It was just a line of of people who are part of this North Carolina system. Well, you could run, you could exhaust teams by passing the hell out of the ball on the offensive end and doing it quickly because you make them react quicker. And that was dead the general philosophy. So this Nuggets team, um, with David Thompson and Dan Issel and Bobby Jones and Larry Brown as coach and Doug Moe as assistant coach, they really just they they set them the, in motion. What became Mike D'Antoni's style, um, and although D'Antoni's uh, teams featured a lot less passing than, than Nuggets teams. Nuggets went through a down period uh, to show you that there was a, um, you know, not everything was home court based. And in 80 and 81, the Nuggets missed the playoffs. Doug Moe comes in, re, you know, this is after Larry Brown had quit 
in the middle of a season and Donnie Walsh had a, a year and a half of unsuccessful basketball. So Doug Moe comes in and reinstates the passing game. The Nuggets become the highest team, highest scoring team in the history of professional basketball in 1983. And a lot of that featured the fact that they were a get an open shot, take it kind of team. And they would try to initiate the offense quicker than most teams in the NBA, which was still a center-dominated league. I mean, that's just the way things were going all the way through the 70s. Not quite as slow it down and center-centric as the, um, you know, 90s became. On the other side of the break, I'm going to kind of talk to you about the 80s Nuggets and how the complaints about Denver's home court advantage really began in the, uh, in the 80s in earnest and how it led to where we are today. Well, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. The NFL is back. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. No matter what, take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 on or more on any any week one game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Uh, like I said, I have a bunch of friends who use DraftKings. They all love it. Um, and he, you know, just take their word for it because they just they just enjoy the hell out of it and I know you will too. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $200 in free bets when you place a bet of $1 when you place a $1 bet on any week 1 game. I can read. That's promo code MHS to get free $200 in free $200 in free bets instantly, my hand. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. The 80s Nuggets were a problem for the NBA. And it was a problem in that the Nuggets would run up massive, and particularly by the late 80s, the Nuggets would run up massive home records. And it was obvious that the altitude, the greatest home court advantage in basketball, was playing a major factor. The Nuggets were able to take advantage of teams, tired teams, coming off long road trip. The East Coast teams hated it. Boston, particularly Larry Bird, hated playing in Denver. Um, Michael Jordan didn't like it much either. It was a it was a taking the Nuggets would uh, often by the third quarter exhaust their opponents, um, and it was something that it was just an accepted way of life. 
particularly with the Nuggets. And I think in, in the last two years, the, the last two Doug Moe years, which was uh, 88-89 and 89-90, um, those were teams that did not necessarily have great they were not great teams. This was the dying embers of the English era of basketball. And the Nuggets were able to run up massive home records those years while winning barely any games on the road. And in fact, the 89-90 season uh, was one where the Nuggets played the expansion uh, Orlando Magic and uh, Scott Skiles got something like 30 assists in a game, right? And I listened to that one on the radio. That was a depressing moment. Um, and the Nuggets were, but on the flip side, you play them in Denver and they run you out of the building. It was exaggerated. The Nuggets were not a very good team, but they were still winning at home. And it just, once the Nuggets changed directions, Paul Westhead tried to do an exaggerated form of the uh, run and gun style. Um, <clears throat> he perfected that under Loyola Marymount. Um, and it just, it, it was embarrassing. The, the, just the Nuggets were just the laughing stock of the league, is what they were. The Nuggets in the mid-90s tried a different approach. <clears throat> they were still wanting to win a lot at home. But Dan Issel knew that Dikembe Mutombo, who was drafted in 1991, uh, was a... Um, a defensive player that you couldn't necessarily build a run-and-gun offense on. Westhead had tried it uh, in his last year as a Nuggets coach, and it just it, it didn't work. Matumbo was averaging over 20 a game, but the team was terrible. What they needed was him to be a defensive anchor, and that's what Essel recognized, and they became that. But they were still having great home records. They were able to still take advantage of tired teams, which is part of taking advantage of your uh, home situation. What happened in the 90s was the Nuggets were outside of one year, essentially. were just a, a, they were an incompetent organization that was undone by bad uh, management, and it infected everything. Promising teams were cut off at the knees, and whatever home court advantage they had, by the time you reached the late 90s, it didn't matter anymore. Whether it was altitude or not, it didn't matter anymore. And the point I've been making for you throughout this whole history lesson is that the Nuggets, largely, outside of the late 80s, their, their ability to win games and be a good team is more reflected in their actual talent than it is the inherent altitude advantage they have. If there isn't the requisite talent to win, your home court advantage can only make up for so much. Um, one of the reasons the 2013 Nuggets had a 30-3 and home record was, you know, partly because it was a very odd schedule where the Nuggets played 22 of their first 32 games on the road and their middle of the schedule was heavy, 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 heavy home. In fact, I think their January I think they had 11 home games in January of that year and they really made hay while the sunshines on that, which like any team would. But 
it had nothing necessarily to do with pace of play or the home court advantage. It had to do everything with the talent and the coaching. And that is something that largely outside NBA forces never understood. Uh, teams in the East Coast that never saw anything in Denver would think the only reason the Nuggets are winning is because of their home court advantage. They would see the Nuggets running them out of the gym in the third quarter of these games, and they would think this is the only reason you're winning. Uh, it really, like I said, Larry Bird hated playing in Denver. Um, I know Jordan did. Uh, just it, There were certain players who hated playing here. Uh, one of them included, his name was Jason Kidd. And another one included was Rick Carlisle. And there is, they will play heavy, heavy, and I do mean heavy part, in what the NBA did in 2013-14 to try to stop the Nuggets from having the inherent altitude advantage. And uh, it's a fascinating story because, like I said, the NBA's attitude towards just basketball in general from these the remaining ABA teams was uh, not exactly, well, it was kind of like one of those condescending pat on the head things. Like, you know, uh, players like, uh, you know, David Thompson should be more lifted up than he is. You know, Dan Issel too. These guys that deserve it need need that praise and recognition. Well, same thing with the teams that came over. Uh, none of the ABA teams have won a title. Heavy restrictions were placed on them when they came in the league. But more than that, once the NBA discovered that there was a team that had was at altitude and had an inherent home court advantage, other teams in the league grumbled. And the grumbling got louder and louder and louder as the years went on until it reached a crescendo by the end of the George Carl era. And on the next podcast, I'm going to talk to you about the steps the NBA took to mitigate Denver's home court advantage, and why that's not necessarily fair. All right, I'll be joining you now on Thursday. I hope you enjoy. Goodbye.